Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm Josh De La Rosa, and we're excited to have you joining us online. Uh, we're pressing further on into this series of messages, looking at why, why do we gather together as a community. And if you're newer to our community, uh, we want to welcome you. And we hope this series of messages really answers questions that you might have about our church and about uh, what are our priorities and what do we rally around as, as a group of people. And so, just by way of review, here at OCC, we share a common unity. And so the series of messages called Community. The combination of those two words, we, really we've been looking so far at those issues that we hold in common together. So we've looked at our common hope, our common mission, our common values, our common strategy. And today we're going to look at how we have a common aim. And now when you and I, we think about this word aim, typically I think our minds go to the idea of targets. In fact, that's uh, related to one of the definitions that you would find in the dictionary when you type in the word aim, you'd find this. An aim, in, in the sense of a noun, is the directing of a weapon or object at a target or a purpose or an intention, a desired outcome. Now, when we're thinking about aiming towards a target, in, in the world of marksmanship, uh, we hear this phrase, aim small, miss small. And it's the idea that if you're aiming at a target, uh, you actually need to aim at the bullseye. You're trying to aim right at the center of the bullseye. You just don't generally aim in the direction of the target, you know, over here or over here. No, you you actually zero in on the, the center. So those crosshairs in the middle of the target is called the bullseye. Now, snipers are the most accurate marksmen at, at very long ranges. And so they can shoot these huge distances. They can be extremely pinpoint accurate. And they're so precise in their aim. And I want to show you a clip from a movie where a sniper is practicing his aim. And so he's firing at a can of beans way off in the distance. So check out this scene. So you see the idea of aim small, miss small. He was able to just zero in on this can of beans and blew that thing up. Now, so we've arrived at the question of what is our common aim here at OCC? When you gather a group in common, gather together, again, there's a target, there's a purpose, there's an objective, there's an aim. And, and there are some communities, meaning some groups of people, who gather for a very different aim than we do as a church. I'm going to tell you about our aim, but let's look at some others first. For example, a sports team. I've played on a bunch of sports teams in my life. Maybe some of you have gathered on sports teams. You've signed up and you've banded together uh, for some purpose. You're, you're after the victory. You, you want to compete and you want to win. You know, I, I never was one to say, hey, we're all here just to have fun. <laughs> you know, maybe that was you, but for me it was, no, actually, I, I'm trying to win the game. I don't want to lose. I actually want to see that our hands are raised at the very end. And so, uh, but 
you gather a sports team together, and the aim is generally the victory, the trophy, uh, the championship. Another group would be like an outlaw biker gang. You hear the sound as you're driving down the freeway, and you just see one after another, and you'll see these leather jackets with the name of this gang. And the purpose, the focus, would be they're breaking the law. That's outlaw biker gangs. And so, Or another group would be like maybe like a CrossFit group, some sort of an exercise group where people get together to, to lose weight or to get strong or to just uh, build friendships. There's purposes be, you know, uh, beyond just the gathering. And there's really a wide variety of those aims and purposes out there. Anywhere from entertainment, some groups are just gathered to entertain, or comfort, or acceptance, or friendship, or, or, or feeling good, or, or gaining power, or prestige, or even accountability. And, you know, on and on, we could talk about the aims of different groups. But for good or for bad, uh, there's power in a group. And it's amazing what can happen through the power of a purposeful group. Maybe you've been a part of a group that really did very clearly aim small at this intended goal. Well, here at OCC, here's our common aim. It's that people would personally trust Christ as Lord and grow to become like him. That's, that's what we're aiming at. We want to see people actually choose to follow Christ and then embark on a lifelong journey of spiritual growth. Uh, we would be thrilled to participate in that over and over and over again in, in our lives collectively and as a, as a group, as a church. Uh, for us, the finish line has never just been that people would become Christians. That's never been seen as our only goal to see people commit their life to Christ. Now, that is crucial. Don't hear me say that that's not important. That's actually it's crucial that people commit their lives to Christ. We don't want to just promote a good way of living or, or best practices. We don't want to just show up and, and gather people to talk about the good life. No, we want people to spend eternity with their maker. And, and that's the crucial, crucial issue is that people would commit their lives to follow Christ. But let's say you commit your life to Christ at 18 years old or, or even younger, maybe 12 or, or older, like 31 or, or even older, 65. God's aim for your life is that once you commit your life to Christ, then you would begin this lifelong journey towards maturity. He wants to see you grow towards full maturity. So let's take a look at a verse from Paul. It's, it's, uh, Paul's a first century church leader, and this was written to the church of Colossae. And, and Colossae is a, is a town that was in the middle of modern day Turkey. Now Paul had, had never visited this church. He'd never visited this city that we know, but uh, the church began by a man that was named Epaphras, and Epaphras was likely trained and discipled in the city of Ephesus by Paul. And Colossae was right in the middle of this uh, this region uh, that we would call Turkey, and it's Asia Minor in those days. But Paul was writing uh, the letter to this church from a Roman prison. A lot of times we read Paul's letters, the setting of, of many of his letters were prison letters or we call them the prison epistles. And he was trying to address, in this letter, some false teaching that was spreading in this church, some, some heresy. Heresy is another word for false teaching. And this specific heresy was an attack on Christ himself. Uh, the attack on Jesus was, is he truly God? Is he supreme? Should he be central? And so some people in the church were beginning to promote Jewish tradition Still, as if 
those traditions were actually on par with Jesus. And the danger is that those traditions promoted really a, a faith that relied on people's works and on their traditions, and it was really like a different gospel. And it wasn't the good news anymore of God's grace. And so Paul was writing uh, to combat this heresy. Now, another heresy that was spreading through the church was promoting Gnostic teaching. And the Gnostics uh, believed in some special divine knowledge. They were uh, searching for a special knowledge that was reserved only for a group of the spiritually elite. And so Paul was trying to combat these two different types of heresies. Now, one of the major focuses of Paul's letters was to teach on the supremacy of Jesus. He was focusing on the fact that Jesus should be central uh, to the church and to the Christian faith. And and so he focuses this uh, this letter, which has four chapters when we read the uh, Colossians. The first two chapters are Paul is laying out right doctrine, right beliefs. And then the second half of Colossians was focused on applying those those doctrines, those beliefs, to practical living. And Paul's aim for this church was the purity of doctrine and the growth of each individual. So you'll see that expressed here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, where Paul writes this, We proclaim him. In, in essence, we announce him, speaking of Jesus, we, we make known him. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul writes, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So you see that Paul actually, he's focused on seeing people grow to maturity and he says, I labor for this. I strive. I strive. He's describing this burden that he carries that is uh, not lifting. It's, it's, it's constantly at work. Uh, the burden of seeing people grow to maturity. He wants to present people mature. Essentially, there's this stewardship or there's this season, this, uh, this, this time-bound experience where church leaders uh, are working uh, for the Lord to help people grow up to become mature. And that there's this season where God has entrusted individuals. Sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's families. But God has entrusted people into the church and the church leaders have an opportunity to help people grow. And at a certain point, when our role is done here, uh, in a way, he's saying, like, we're going to present people to God that we have been caring for. God has entrusted people to our care, and so we're to do our role well. And at a certain point, when, the, when our role is over, we're presenting people to God. And Paul is just describing, I, I want to present people who are mature in Christ. And you can think of, if this were to happen, he would be encouraged. He would, he would have been faithful. If it doesn't happen, then Paul would have neglected this responsibility. He would have sort of gotten focused on other things. He had maybe a different aim. But Paul's saying, hey, my aim is that people would grow and be taught and be warned with all wisdom and then presented to Christ as mature people. And Paul's describing this. He's saying, I labor, meaning I pour out all my energy into this aim. That's the target. That, that nobody gets left behind in, in their growth, but that we're bringing everyone along to maturity. 
Everyone should be hearing about Christ, given the opportunity to respond to him, and then have the opportunity to mature in Christ. Now, that idea that Paul is describing, this verse has bothered me through the years. Because as a church leader, as a pastor, I, I carry that same burden for our people and for the church God has entrusted to us. And so this idea keeps me up. You know, there, has been, there have been studies uh, done on people who have attended churches for years and even decades. And, and the question that is asked in many studies is, oh, does, does church attendance ensure spiritual growth? And oftentimes the studies and the articles reveal that growth is not automatic. It doesn't just come through church attendance. But God wants to see people growing and see maturity happening. He wants to see that process taking place in the church. And we've seen many people experience this type of of growth, real genuine life change. In fact, maybe some of you watching, maybe the bulk of your growth has been because you plugged into our church community. And you've gotten around some people, there's a certain culture, and it has propelled you forward. And maybe you'd say of yourself, yeah, I've experienced real transformation, real heart change, where God has shown me something that's off in my life, and I've yielded it to him. And with God's help, uh, that area has, has moved forward. God has moved me forward. So you see, that's Paul's concern. He's concerned with that aim, and so are we. In fact, I know that so many of you are very concerned about this in your own life. You, you don't want to stay the same. You don't want to... Maybe there's areas in your life that you feel you're stuck in. You don't want to keep it that way. You want to keep yielding your life to Christ. You want to keep experiencing this maturity in you. But not only in you, you're concerned. Maybe even you'd say you're burdened for those people around you. Maybe it's your family members. Maybe it's your deep, closest friends. You know, this is a major part of our hope for our community, that we would have this common aim. That wouldn't be just the leader or the leaders, but it would be a part of the body. Now, in college, I first read about this idea that churches are either uh, like a river church or just a lake church. Now, the difference between a river and a lake is is the motion. Rivers are in motion. There's movement. There's growth. Whereas a lake is stagnant. It's, it's sort of just stale. And with people, you come into an environment, and if the environment, if the church is a river, then there is this pull forward. There's this movement. You see there's this even this trajectory of where people are, are flowing. And you step into that environment and you can't help but move with the river. Versus a church that would be a lake where you just don't see that growth. And it's just, you sort of just check the box. Yep, I was here, I came in, I came out at the same place. Uh, with a river, you can't help but move with it. And so we would desire that our church be more like a river. And so because of that, you may feel, let me flesh out the aim of our church, you may feel that at OCC, we actually intend to do this. We want to challenge and invite you to step forward towards obedience. Now, let's look backing up a little bit in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9. Paul writes this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Some of you are here because people prayed for you to be here. You're watching this because people prayed for you to watch this. And they kept inviting you to check out our church. And I love that about our church. I love that, that others have a genuine care and concern for people and for their spiritual growth. In fact, I see myself as a part of a process. Uh, some people would have invested time and prayer and energy in helping share Christ with their friends and family. 
And as I share and teach and, and preach out of God's word, I'm a part of that process, but it's just a part of the process. God is actually working through individuals who are praying and inviting people uh, to take steps of growth and obedience. Now, Paul continues in in this passage, and he, he writes to them, we're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So full knowledge of his will. Not not partial knowledge, but filled, Paul writes, with the knowledge of God's will. That's That's his desire. Not just Paul, but he's saying we. It's because there are others that Paul is... is identifying with a group of people that's concerned for this church. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is Paul's, again, his his burden, his concern, is that they would know how life works God's way. That's wisdom. And that they would have a, a grasp of spiritual understanding. Verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord. He wants the people in the in the Colossian church to walk differently than the world, but walk in a way that pleases God, fully pleasing, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And so, this is a big concern that that at the head, heart, and hands levels, that people would be growing. And what do I mean by that? I'm often thinking in terms of of the head, like what does God want people to know about him as I'm teaching God's word and as I'm or as I'm walking alongside someone who's growing I'm concerned about what do they need to know from God's word and then even at a heart level what what does God want people to feel about him that that we would want people to know that God loves them that he cares for them that he's there with them present and even on a hands level what what does God want people to do you know we often think in terms of the hands in terms of the action the the movement of of obedience and so, from head to heart to hands, you know, we want to see people moving forward. So we hope you feel that. We hope you feel this this regular challenge here towards obedience. Part of our aim is also that we intend to measure ourselves, not by each other, but up to Christ. So there's a temptation in life to sort of look around and compare ourselves to others. And whenever we do that, we get into comparison, there's just no win in doing that. There's no win in comparison. In fact, it's a waste of time to try to compare how you're doing in relation to the person beside you or the person across from you. You know, that's just, that's, that's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy even. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. God actually puts leaders in the church in order to do this. It says in verse 12, in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And what's he saying? It's, it's just it's tempting to compare to others and to think to ourselves, you know, well, compared to them, I'm pretty mature. Compared to him or her, I'm doing pretty good. Compared to to, to this person, you know, and they're they're a lot older than me. They've been going to church a lot longer. Compared to them, I'm doing well. So why should I keep pressing for more growth? I'm going to let other people catch up and start getting uh, their growth on. Well, if you're thinking, yeah, I'm pretty mature. Well, I think the question we have to ask is mature compared to whom? You see, Paul says, when we measure ourselves to Christ, he's the standard. Well, that, that standard goes way, way up. Compared to Christ, 
All of us, we have a long, long ways to go. And here's the benefit. Verse 14, once this maturity happens, says, Then we will no longer be little children. The implication is we've got a ways to go. Little children are tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. You see, children are easily deceived. Adults, however, they're not. And so Paul is saying, hey, focus on Christ as the standard. And when you do that, you realize how much further you have to go in your growth and you keep aiming towards spiritual growth. And in another letter, Paul actually highlights how this is actually God's plan that he keeps moving towards completion. You see, if you're discouraged right now because you think, you know, I've got a long ways to go and and I don't know if I'm ever going to get mature. I keep tripping over the same rocks. I keep uh, finding myself getting snagged uh, and, and, and I just, I can't break through. Well, look at Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 29. Paul writes this to the church in Rome in verse 29. For those he, speaking of God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this, there's a lot going on in Romans chapter 8. What this is describing is how God is working out our salvation. God has foreknowledge. He foreknew who would be his, who he would call to himself. The Bible teaches that God before even the foundation of the earth, God uh, knew who would be his. Who he would choose people to respond to him. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is working in our lives to help us become like Jesus. He chooses us. He calls us into relationship. We, res- we respond to him. And he begins to mature us to become like Jesus. And it says, So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In a sense, Jesus goes first, sets an example that we then follow after. He's like, he's like big brother, in a sense, is the idea here. Uh, if you've ever seen a pack of siblings and you say, well, they all kind of resemble each other. They all kind of look like each other. Uh, they're part of the same family. This is the idea here is that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He set a course that we're to follow. And so in that way, as we grow, we, we begin to resemble Jesus. Verse 30 reads this, And those he predestined, those that God predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And what he's getting at is, God's not going to drop you. If, if, if you find that you get tripped up in your life, well, you're not going to get lost along the way. There's a promise that I love in this passage for those that God predestines, for those that God chooses essentially to call into his family. Uh, he actually calls them by name. He, he has called you by name. If you're a Christian, it's because he called you into relationship with him. And then, he justified you. When you choose to follow Christ and you yield your way to Jesus, you make Jesus the boss of your life, then he justifies you. Justified means that uh, he makes you right with God. You're standing before God. You move from guilty uh, in, in, in our sin to innocent because of the blood of Jesus. He justified you through the cross. And those that he justified, he also glorified. What he's describing is that at the end of this life on earth is that we will live with Jesus in a glorified state. We'll be perfect, perfected in heaven. 
the sin that we struggle with now, that has still very much a power on us. It has a hold in some ways. We're no longer guilty, like we've been released from the penalty. We've been justified. The penalty has been paid. But as far as the power of sin uh, that is still present in our in our life and in our world, uh, the moment we leave planet Earth, if we're in Christ, then we we head into a glorified state, and the power that sin had will be fully broken and. It will be gone. There won't be any presence of sin any longer in heaven. We'll be in a glorified state. God is moving us through this process. Paul's describing it from beginning of God, you know, predestining us, from him calling us, from us responding and being justified, and eventually we'll be glorified. So he's not going to drop you. He's not going to lose you. Even if you trip up along the way, you know, not everyone begins this journey. Not everyone chooses to uh, respond to the offer of salvation. Some people just resist God and reject Christ. But know this, if you respond to Christ and this offer of the relationship with Jesus, God will bring you through this work of growth and he'll bring it to completion. That's what God does. He's in charge of that. He'll lead you through that process. Now, another aspect of our aim here is that we stress a sense of urgency. We 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 sense that we should. Why? Well, it's because in the scripture you see there is a sense of urgency. We don't, we don't often let our minds wander towards eternity. We, we don't often think about what might happen after death. But, but you know, heaven and hell are actually real places and our choices here and now actually affect the next life. Here's a story that Jesus told that really, I think, brings a real sober uh, reality of eternity right into focus. So look at uh, Luke 16, verse 19, beginning there. Verse 19, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. He's going about his day, feasting, partying, enjoying his life. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. So you have a rich man and a poor man. He, speaking of Lazarus, longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his source. You could just see he's, uh, he is so desperate to live like this other fellow. Verse 22, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. So this poor man, he was, he was uh, going to heaven. He had a place in heaven. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. Okay, so they both die. Rich man dies and goes one place. Poor man dies and goes to another place. Verse 23, And being in torment in Hades, he, speaking of the rich man, looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Abraham is one of the sort of the patriarchs of our faith. The father, we would say, the father of the faith people. God gave a promise to this man, Abraham. We read about it in the first book of the, of the entire Bible. And so this rich man, he goes and he sees Abraham. He's, he's in torment. He's in hell. And he sees Abraham way off in the distance in heaven. And he sees this poor man, Lazarus, by Abraham's side. Verse 24, Father Abraham, he called out. So this is the, the rich man shouting towards Abraham. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus, Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water. And cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, just as Lazarus, 
received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are still in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. These are sobering words. Verse 27, Father, he said, Then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. This is a sobering story, Jesus tells. Hell is more than just a bad day. It's more than just a rough experience. It's actually a place of real, eternal, constant torment and suffering and separation from God for forever, for all eternity. The reality of heaven and hell should drive us to live our lives with a sense of urgency and really also an eye on and towards eternity. And as it relates to helping people uh, meet Christ and learn to trust Him, we've been assigned a role by God. Here's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. This is written to uh, the church in Corinth near Greece. It's, Therefore we, ha- we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. There's this urgency again. We plead, Paul writes, be reconciled to God. This is part of His pleading with others. Reconcile your life to God. Get right with God. See, this is part of the burden. We we aim at this. We want to help people be reconciled with God because this uh, world, this time on the planet, it's, it's temporal. It doesn't last forever. All of us, every single one of us, will die at a certain point and we'll meet our Maker and we'll face Him. And so you might think, is it really worth it for me to live with this growth edge and a focus on maturity? Well, I don't know. What could be more worth it than eternity? Because as you prioritize your spiritual growth, God has the ability to work through your life and to reach many, many others. Now, here's the last thing regarding our aim. We as a church constantly evaluate our approach. You might think to yourself, yeah, you're always tweaking things at OCC. The structure was, you know, I just got in the hang of it and then they shift things around. Why is that? Well, part of the fact that we want, we want to always evaluate Uh, how we do things we don't want just things to just be static and like remember i said we want to be your involvement here to feel like you've stepped into a river that is moving forward and we don't want it to be like a lake where just you you know exactly the predictable side of everything Uh, we want to continue to challenge your growth and in order to do that we keep constantly evaluating our approach so we work hard to help each of you experience spiritual growth why It's because Paul said, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As we hand what has been entrusted to Jesus, we want him to say, you focused on the right things. You focused on what pleases me. I mean, Jesus, he's he's inspecting what we're doing. And this is not just something that our staff feels this way about. I could say that our leaders, our volunteer leaders, desire this. There are so many people in our church that carry this burden to see you grow. We hope that each of you would consider how can I also lean in towards this uh, this aim of spiritual maturity so that others would would catch this vision for seeing people grow up in Christ. And if we aim at the at the right target, my hope is that over the course of many years, each of us will see tremendous growth in each one of us for the sake of, of living in a manner worthy of the one who saved us. And so 
Uh, thanks for joining us. Here's a few next steps to consider. The first one is this. It's to move forward in the membership process at OCC. I invite you to check the box on your connection card. Let us know that we're here, but if, if you're learn, wanting to learn more about how to uh, continue on in the membership process, maybe it's that you need to attend an OCC preview, or maybe the next step is our discovering membership class, or maybe it's you've attended those, but you've, you've not continued through that process. Maybe you need to schedule a time to you know, have a conversation about committing to the body. I would encourage you to take, take another step forward in the membership process because that is one way uh, you can continue to see and experience spiritual growth and maturity. Second thing is to begin reading the Gospels in the New Testament. The Gospels are the first four books in the New Testament. So the Bible has two sections or two divisions. The first and larger portion is the Old Testament. But the New Testament, the second division, it begins with four books that are the biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' life, his teachings, and and you get to see all of those things play out in narrative form. And so I would encourage you to begin reading those. This will help you when we're talking about measuring up to Christ. It'll give you a picture of how did Jesus live. It'll answer that question. What did he do? What was he about? What were the patterns? What What's his example? Also, in the fall, we're going to begin a message series, really studying his life and seeing what we can learn in order to, to follow that pattern. Now, the third step you can take in response to today is to encourage a friend in their spiritual growth. I would invite you to do that, to consider the people around you who's in the, in the church family that maybe you can come alongside to check in on and say, hey, how can I encourage you? What can I be praying for you? What are you aiming to grow in? And how can I partner with you in that? That's a major part of why we band together in community. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this uh, passage that we sprung from in uh, Colossians 1, where Paul highlights this, this goal, this aim that he's focused on of seeing people grow to maturity. Help us be a church that, that zeroes in as well on that same uh, effort and intention. And I pray, Father, that, that this would be a major part of our culture, a growing part of, of how we do uh, church life, that there would be this constant growth edge, much like how people gather at a gym to, to support each other and hold each other accountable to fitness goals. Uh, how much more important are spiritual growth goals than fitness goals? Lord, so help us to catch this vision of being a group of people, community, who pushes each other through the years and even through the decades to see uh, that we would be walking and living in a manner worthy of you, Lord Jesus. So we thank you for all that you've done uh, to, um, to rescue us. And I pray for those that are still sorting out uh, becoming Christ followers. Lord, I pray you'd help us to introduce more people to you, Lord Jesus, that they would grow up in him. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.